think the biggest thing that manufacturers and people in the skilled trades industry or other industries need to do is they need to establish it where they can, by working for their company, they have a better growth potential, a better purpose, a better career forward than other industries. You are listening to the Future Proof Operations Podcast. The manufacturing sector is evolving and the work that happens on the front line is the key to driving future readiness. On each episode, we bring you conversations with global leaders in industrial companies. Our goal is to discuss trends, stories and people in digital manufacturing and offer the latest insight into solutions. Subscribe and be sure to check out our website for more resources at operationsone.com. I'm your podcast host, Benjamin Brockman. This episode is brought to you by Operations One. Operations One is the leading platform to bring operations to a new level of excellence. By supporting frontline operations from planning to execution to analytics, companies benefit from an empowered workforce, increased operational excellence, and future-proof operations. Visit operationsone.com for more information. Jake, welcome to the Future Proof Operations Podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the show. Jake, first of all, who is the manufacturing millennial? It's a great question to kick things off. So the manufacturing millennial is a personal brand that I started a couple years ago to talk about the manufacturing industry from a perspective of a younger generation worker going into manufacturing. Now, I've been in the manufacturing industry for about 16 years Started my first job when I was 16 years old in high school, sweeping floors, cleaning the dirty equipment of a manufacturer, the CNCs, the manual mills, grinding the weldments down that would be processed. And I had a lot of experience from saying, okay, I like this industry. I like working with my hands, like building things. Went to college, got my manufacturing engineering degree, product design degree, and minor in biomedical engineering, and had that experience. And went to work for an automation distributor, systems integrator, and really where the manufacturing millennial came about, this brand that a lot of people are familiar with online now is in the beginning of the pandemic in spring of 2020, there was basically a massive, hey, work from home thing. You can't go out. You can't go see people anymore. You can't go visit companies. Everyone works from home. So I said, well, if I'm going to be home behind a computer all day, that means probably everyone else's. And I'm going to start just creating content and sharing my thoughts around the manufacturing, automation, and robotics space. And over that period of time, I mean, can kind of fast forward two years, it's grown to where I make daily posts around manufacturing specifically in robotics and automation and skilled trades and talk about the high-level topics and areas that we need to prove in the industry, but also highlight all the cool emerging technology and automation that's designed to make manufacturers more productive. So at the end of the day, who's the manufacturer millennial? It's a brand designed to make manufacturers more aware of technology that can make them more productive. And it's a advocacy to get millennials and Gen Zs involved in the manufacturing industry that's so desperate for future wars. Sounds super interesting. Tell me a little bit more about the person behind the manufacturing millennial. So you are Jake. And how did you start this personal brand? And why did you start it? The idea from that was, is I saw a massive disconnect when I went to trade shows and conferences. I remember in the fall of 2019, 
I was at a conference of about 400 other business professionals. And I was the only person in that crowd that was under the age of 40 years old. I said, this is crazy. We need to have more young people in this audience. Well, I'm a millennial in manufacturing. I'm going to call myself the manufacturing millennial because it has a fun ring to it. And just be one of those outspoken young individuals that wants to advocate this industry for other people. I covered a little bit about my background of, you know, how I got started in mm -hmm. college working for manufacturing. But, you know, some of my biggest impacts was doing first Lego League, first robotics. It's a high school competition that's heavy in the U.S. Now it's more of a global competition. There's a lot more high schools in different countries competing. But the idea was, as you're placed on a team and you have six to eight weeks to design and build a robot that will compete on a sports playing field against all these other high school teams. And that opportunity said that really inspired me to play with emerging technology to make engineering and design and robotics fun. And that's kind of what got me propelled forward. I think the other thing as well, Lego was such a huge impact for me as a young kid, designing, getting Lego sets, building the instructions, and then tearing them apart and building your own models and being creative and imaginative. I think every engineer or designer or programmer can probably point to Lego as some impact of their childhood, what they enjoy. You already named automation, robotics, emerging technologies. What are you seeing happening in the manufacturing industry nowadays? Which kind of trends, which kind of technologies? What is the state of manufacturing? That's a great question. So the manufacturing industry is facing some critical problems in the industry. One of those is cybersecurity, another one's supply chain. Another one's this idea of how we're needing to do better at digital adoption on the manufacturing floor. But I think one of the biggest issues that we're also facing is just the skilled labor that's available to work in manufacturing. This isn't just a North American thing where I am. This is also in Europe where you are. It's hard to get young workers who a lot of times have skill sets that are applicable to engineering and manufacturing attract. And so what we're finding out is in order for us to be productive as a manufacturer, We can't just rely on having young professionals come into the industry with the correct skill sets to begin with. We need to leverage technology that's going to make young professionals more productive, might have less skill sets. And I think that's what we're seeing now with automation. Automation is a tool that allows for machine learning and artificial intelligence to do complex tasks that were normally performed by skill operators now can be performed by operators who don't have those skill sets. You know, a great example that I'm seeing is depalletization, for example. In the 3PL in the logistics industry for a mm -hmm. long time, you would have workers who would build pallets up with mixed skews, and then you would have people then that would tear down those pallets and pack those up. Well, a traditional industrial robot or collaborative robot on the heavy, a big payload would not be able to complete those tasks because the product varied. And they weren't able to run through some sort of a depalletization routine. Artificial intelligence and machine learning now allows us to have dynamic pallets that allow us to then break down these systems autonomously without the need for a human worker. So that once strenuous, boring, heavy, labor-intensive task that no one wanted to work, no one wanted to do, had a high retention rate, a high turnover rate a very low retention rate in the industry can now be performed by a robot. So then a human that would normally be doing that task can now be doing a much more purpose-driven operation. What we're seeing in the industry in terms of these new technologies, a lot of times what I would say is collaborative systems that are designed to enable the worker or the skilled worker mm -hmm. to do their job easy. When I talk with industry experts, 
often I hear something like there's automation, AI, technology on the one hand side, and on the other hand side, the workers, the operators. And oftentimes it is like they are against each other. And this is some kind of conflict. Do you see that the same? Oh, absolutely. I think there's always that representation workers have that robots are going to take jobs. Robots are going to remove them from the workforce. And the one thing I would say is, are robots doing tasks that humans did 10 years ago? Absolutely. You know, you're seeing robots doing tasks in a massive way. But I think the one thing that we need to look at now is there's a lot more industry opportunities that exist for young professionals than what existed 10 years ago when you had older generations who went into manufacturing. I love to use the Grubhub Uber Eats example here in North America, where it employs hundreds, if not a half a million people, professionals, to do home delivery, to do rides, to do pickup. And it's not even just food. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm going to run to the convenience store or the supply store and bring back ink for my printer. And so what we're seeing now is Younger generations are put into this stereotype from older people that we're just entitled, that we shouldn't have to do these jobs. We expect to get more for less. We expect to get paid more. We expect to have better opportunities. And, you know, the older generations will sit back and say, well, that's not the way I had it when I was a kid. And I was your age. I had to grind and I had to do all this stuff. But I think what they're needing to realize is that younger generations are not entitled. I can't speak for everyone. There's, of course, mm -hmm. every generation has entitled people. But for the majority of, I would say, younger generations, they're not entitled. They're just aware of all these other opportunities that exist for them to have a career in or to have a job in that didn't exist 10 years ago. And what manufacturers need to look at now is in order to attract younger people to come into the industry, they need to do business differently. They need to have their culture differently. They need to be able to drive purpose mm -hmm. in their employees that's beyond the typical eight to five paycheck. Because when you do traditional manufacturing, come in at this time, leave at this time, and then you might have to come in on Saturdays, we're not setting a cultural perspective that we're willing to invest into them as an employee. And as things change and as younger people move up in leadership, they're realizing that money might not be always the largest driven paycheck to come work for a company. It might be What is the mm -hmm. flexibility that I have so I can be with my kids or I can drop my kids off to school before going into work and leave work in time to pick them up from school? What if for me, instead of working a 45-hour-a-week job, a 30-hour-a-week job where I would work five days a week from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. and I would then have enough time to pick up my kids is something that's more attractive to a working mom at home than it is her having to find a full-time job to then take care of morning daycare and afternoon school programs. And I think the biggest thing that we need to understand is manufacturers are no longer in competition with other manufacturers for their workforce. It's so many other industries now. So you need to be looking at not only is what your competition and manufacturer doing down the street, but also what is that other company who's down the street that's not even in manufacturing doing to attract younger people. So I think that's what we're seeing now in the industry to kind of go back to your question of where manufacturers need to change to do better. You already talked about purpose and culture, and I really like that topic, so we should deep dive into that. Before that, I would like to focus on one thing, and this is the task and responsibilities of the operators and of the workers. And you already named that there has been already automation going on in the last decade, and they have been task automated. Mm -hmm. They are now done by robots, for example. And I think it's very obvious that this kind of trend will continue. So if you take a look on the operators, on the workers, how will their role change? What will they do in future? 
which kind of responsibilities will they have? Well, I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing younger generations then to be multi-skilled and be able to do multitasking a lot more. I think what we saw in manufacturing at one point in time was this one person did this one job and they didn't do anything else. Well, now, ever since coming out of the pandemic and even before the pandemic, I would say anyone who's listening to this podcast right now or watching this show can agree they're doing more jobs and have more responsibilities than they did a couple of years ago. And that's just the state of everyone. Now, what can we do to make it so when we're doing these tasks that it's easier for us? I think that's where we can embrace technology. One of my favorite examples is when I was 16 years old, I went out and bought my first car, which was a 1996 Red Ford F-250, big truck. And when I picked it up, my dad brought me to AutoZone, which is a, if your audience that might not be listening, it's a auto repair store where you can go and buy components to fix things and do it on your own. And we picked up a catalog that basically had in the back of the book, your keywords of components. And then you would then go to a page where the appendix reference to you that would teach you how to do a step-by-step repair of that car, you know, and we use the typical paper-based work instructions to address problems, to solve problems and how we fix things. And that was what older generations of Gen X's and baby boomers grew up doing is they use paper-based instructions to solve problems. Nowadays, as we've shifted in technology, we've gone from paper-based to digital. Where now all of a sudden, if I want to solve a problem where I want to learn something or I want to set up a job, it's no longer the paper-based stuff. It's the digital work instructions, the digital data information where I write stuff down. And it's not even just accessing information, it's writing things down. If you're running a production line and every hour, instead of you going out there and writing on a whiteboard, how many parts you produce per hour, approximately how long you were down, why you were down, what faults occurred, who was the operator that was running? You write that all down on a whiteboard, piece of paper. We've seen so many different types of examples. What if you put that into a digital work instruction? And what if that data was automatically pulled from a PLC to now then have that information automatically put into a system that allows you to better understand productivity or some people like to use OEE as an example. But in real life, instead of this Haynes repair manual that we have, we go on a thing called YouTube and we Google our problem. And then we get video, step-by-step, guided, talk-through instructions on how to fix our problem. And I think all the younger generations, you know, Ben, myself, anyone who's a millennial or Gen Z right now can say, if I want to learn something, I just Google mm-hmm. it. I go on Wikipedia. I just watch it on YouTube. But then they expect, when I, when I say they, then when I go to work for a manufacturer and I walk in a machine line and they hand me a notebook. Or they hand me a three-ring binder that has all these work instructions and say, okay, if you run into a problem and you get this air, look in through the binder and find the air and figure out what you need to do to fix that problem. It's completely foreign to these younger kids to use that type of problem solving and to be able to fix a problem. Now, what I'm not saying is that bad. Should people be able to do that problem skill solving? Yeah, they should be. They should be able to have that critical thinking skill to do that. However, as our culture and industry and demographics and generations change, that just isn't the case anymore. If I want to solve a problem, give it to me in a tool that I'm familiar with. And that's why we're seeing more adapted to digital work instructions, digital tools, even going out there and wearing bots behind me. But I have augmented reality, virtual reality headset that I put on and then manufacturers can then go in and set up a task to guide that operator through augmented or virtual reality how to solve that problem. 
And that right there is a lot more adaptive and a lot more relatable to a younger person than an older person. But that's how you make it so you're setting a cultural understanding to say, listen, I understand as a younger generation, you do things differently and we're going to embrace technology that's more relatable to you. You say the workers will change in future and the worker will need to solve more complex tasks. They have to multitask. And what is needed, we need to use technology to do that, to empower the workforce. And beforehand, we talked about culture and purpose already. And I think we agree that the culture and the mindset needs to change. We need to see the workers differently. So how can we change that mindset? How can we change that culture and give them a purpose? That's a great question. I think the biggest thing that needs is that manufacturers and people in the skilled trades industry or other industries need to do is they need to establish it where they can, by working for their company, they have a better growth potential, a better purpose, a better career forward than other industries. And I think in the manufacturing industry, it's really unique because for a long time, you didn't need to get a four-year degree to be successful mm -hmm. in manufacturing or in engineering in an engineering related industry. You could just come in there with a good work ethic and have those skills. And then things changed and shifted where basically said, if you don't have a four-year degree, you're not going to be accepted. You're not going to have these responsibilities. But we found out that didn't work because now all of a sudden we don't have near the amount of people going to college today than what we did four years ago. I think for the third year in a row, we're seeing a recession in four-year people going to college for their four-year degree because they're saying, I don't want to graduate with 65 70, dollars mm. $80,000 of student debt, then all of a sudden my degree is not even relevant. So you see more people going to community colleges or apprentice programs or skilled trades programs, which is honestly some of the biggest high demand jobs in the future, because the only people who have those jobs right now are older baby boomers and older Gen Xers. So if we as a manufacturer can create a culture of purpose, where if they come to work from them, they can grow within that company, they can be successful. They can rise up the ranks if they want to within that company. That is going to make them a lot more prosperous and successful without doing what we would say the status quo was you need to go right from high school to go get a four-year degree to be successful. And in manufacturing, I think we can give a lot of younger generations a opportunity to say, listen, you don't need to do that. Here's why. And we're willing to help you grow. And a lot of places, I know over in Germany is probably the leading country to do this is manufacturers paying for skilled trades students coming right up to them. They have the best skilled trades programs that's just standard for a lot of manufacturers globally. And you know, there's some manufacturers in the US and North America that are doing that, but not anywhere near at the rate that we should be to be investing in our future workforce. Jake, you said technology should empower the operators. It should help the workers to work more productive, to get the information they need at the right point in time. Where do you see technology moving in manufacturing in general? We talked already about some technologies, AI, machine learning, and so on. Where do we see technology? I think we're going to see more technology move in a way that's going to enable the workers. So what I'm thinking is device wearable products, I guess you could say, would be something that I would see is going to be a much more adapted solution in our industry. We're going to see what could we do to enable the worker to do their task better and more efficiently. And I think there's a million different ways we can do that. It's going to be through AI and machine learning. So it's going to make those lives easier. It's going to be the devices that humans wear to make those tasks better. It's going to be humans working alongside automation systems at a lot better task where before the justification of we're not going to install this robot because there's not a full ROI on it. 
when now you need to look at it from perspective of we might need to install this robot to do this task that's the most boring mundane part of a step of an operation just so the human worker doesn't need to do it so the human still has to do a majority of the task but we're installing these systems to make it so that human is going to have a lot better retention rate because they're removing that dull boring dirty dangerous portion of that manufacturer and I think that's what is going to really separate us going forward and help enable younger workers. What is the state right now of manufacturing companies when you take a look in their factory floor now? What I see oftentimes, and here and there I find it crazy and funny at the same time, you have worker operators, they are approaching at the beginning of the day, standing in front of the entry door of the factory, they have iPad or iPhone. 13 in their pocket and then they do the step into the factory and then they start to work with paper as you said do you share that perspective yeah absolutely i mean we love all these buzz industry terms industry 4.0 smart manufacturing digitalization the digital transition you know there's a bunch of them out there but at the end of the day when we look at a majority of the manufacturers the small to medium-sized businesses global The large manufacturers at any country have done a phenomenal job with digitization and smart manufacturing for the most part. There's a lot of work that they can do, but take away the top percentage of the companies who have a billion dollars in revenue in front of their neighbor, hundreds of million dollars of revenue in front of their name every year and go to the small to medium sized business. Mm -hmm. A majority of these manufacturers do not have technology that's adapting into their processes. And I think that's the biggest failure that we're having is, I can't remember the exact term, Ben, but I would say It's something like less than 10% of manufacturers have actually successfully created, implemented, and ran a industry 4.0 or a smart manufacturing initiative within their manufacturing company. It's minuscule compared to the general manufacturers that are out there of what still needs to happen. So in terms of actual adoption, we are nowhere near what we need to be. And all of a sudden there's these terms out there saying, well, industry 5.0 which is, you know, a step above industry 4.0. And anytime I hear that, I just laugh and say, you expect us to do industry 5.0 now? I know manufacturers who don't even have a robot on their shop floor right now, which is industry 3.0. But all of a sudden, they have zero information systems on their floor. They have zero accessibility of what is actually happening on their floor in terms of production. And you all of a sudden want to go this new terminology of industry 5.0? Oh my goodness. It's like, let's stop with the buzzwords and understand at a, current, at a certain cultural place right now in manufacturing, we have almost no adoption for the technology that's available right now in our workforce. And that needs to change before we put any more initiatives or goals on the next step when we haven't even done Industry 4.0 to a more than half successful degree right now. So you say there is still a big step to go for the majority of manufacturing companies? There's a ginormous step a marathon of work that's ahead of the majority of manufacturers. Now, the great thing about that being said is not to be negative all the way is technology has gotten a lot better to where now I can implement these solutions at a much lower cost point, a much lower time investment point, a much lower risk where my risk mitigation is great in terms of not running into issues. I think a lot of that has to do with the technology that's available. If we wanted to get access to a machine 10 years ago to understand its OEE and productivity, we would have to follow this traditional Purdue model of I have my sensor, my sensor is connected to a IO block, that IO block is connected to a PLC, that PLC is connected to some sort of SCADA or MES system, which is then connected to some sort of internet cloud base or whatever system at the time. And you had to run through all these steps to get there. 
Well, now all of a sudden I can just go out there, grab a sensor, take that sensor, slap it on the side of a machine now, and it will automatically just connect to the cloud. And now all of a sudden on my cell phone, I can get real-time productivity and preventative maintenance and condition monitoring of a lot of my processes by completely skipping two or three steps along the way. And that's where I would say that technology is really equalizing the playing field in terms of understanding what productivity looks like to a lot of majority of a lot of manufacturers. And that's what's exciting because any manufacturer now can go out there, buy a temperature and vibration sensor that has a magnet on it slap it to the side of a motor or a drive or a pump or a tank and get real time feedback of what that current state is and then make that system actionable. And that's where we're gonna be seeing this transition. And the great part about that is slapping 12 sensors on each one of your motors that's driving a pump system within your facility going to change you and make you more productive, no. But what you're doing is you're creating a cultural understanding that we're going to embrace technology that's gonna give us more information that's actionable not just information that we can do nothing with, information that's actually going to be able to make to allow you to make decisions to make you more productive longer. When we stick with the technology topic a little bit longer, you said the workforce can use a smartphone, a tablet, they can put a sensor on a machine, for example, and in general, technology is getting cheaper. If we talk a little bit more about cutting-edge technology, the newest technology in the market, what do you think about AR and VR? Oh, man, I think it's one of those things where it's going to be a lot more heavily adapted into manufacturing. And I think a lot of that has to do with, I'll give you an example. Let's say you have Bill. Bill's been working for your manufacturing company for 40 years. Bill is a senior level maintenance technician. He knows how to fix every single thing at your manufacturing facility. Well, Bill's 64 years old and Bill wants to retire in a few years. So what are you going to do to replace Bill? Well, you're going to probably have to hire one or two more maintenance guys to come in to do his task because he just can do it better, faster, and easier. But on top of that, he has so much tribal knowledge built inside of him that it's going to take years for these younger generations to be able to accomplish what he could accomplish. How do you transfer that knowledge that Bill has had for working for that manufacturer for 40 years into these younger professionals? And I think AR and VR can be a tool for that. And what we're seeing now is we're seeing the ability to capture processes that are either doing changeovers or repairs or jobs, capture that through a digital headset, a virtual reality headset and augmented reality headset, and then be able to then record what that process looks like, store that information. So when that issue arises again in the future, a younger worker can grab a technology or grab their headset, slap it on and be able to see those step-by-step-by-step -by -step -by -step instructions of how to do that repair or how to do that machine changeover that was tribal knowledge that's now captured digitally so anyone can accomplish mm -hmm. that task and to follow those. At the end of the day, digital work instructions or if it's a repair, if it's a setup, if it's a process, they're all the same when we can create actionable data through technology. Is saving of tribal knowledge the success factor for manufacturing companies of the future? Well, if you don't, you're going to lose a lot. <laughs> A lot of stuff. I mean, is it the one thing that's the saving grace? No. There's mm -hmm. so many other things that manufacturers need to do. However, you as a company, your biggest risk is all the knowledge that's in employees' heads that you have zero written down instructions or mm -hmm. systems that are out there that actually understand what is happening in your equipment. One of my favorite examples is working for an automation distributor at the time, and I walked into a manufacturer here in West Michigan. And they had been, I kid you not, probably 40 automotive totes 
the four by four by four automotive tow of scrap parts. And they were throwing them in the trash case. I said, what are you guys doing? And he says, well, second shift last night, didn't set up the machine properly because we changed a process. And what happened was, is the guy who came in on second shift had his own three ring binder that had his own written down instructions on how to set up the machine. And then we thought we picked up all the binders and replaced them so we could do something new and change it. Well, he didn't do that. So they ran production last night for eight hours of completely wrong parts. And he thought they were the right parts because according to his work binder, he did that. That's tribal mm-hmm. knowledge that is just in processes right now in manufacturing that just have to change. And that's how we reduce risk from a manufacturer's point of view. When I talk with manufacturers, I hear one question very often, and it is about making or buying technology in general. When we talk about software, for example, you named work instructions, you could try to build software yourself to build work instructions. When we talk about machine learning, I already heard from some manufacturers that they are hiring machine learning experts to build some AI or machine learning software. How do you see it in general when we take a look into buying software on the one hand side? and making software or hardware on the other hand side, there are still big IT departments and manufacturing companies and they are needed, of course, but what should they do and what not? So this is me speaking from my day job because I work for a global information system software company that does high level SCADA, MES, MOM Mm -hmm. for manufacturers. It's like what we do. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a manufacturer and we're saying, hey, we're going to develop this system for you. That's going to give you better machine accessibility and analytics of what is happening on your shop floor. And then IT comes to me and says, oh, we could do that ourselves. We just could take that and just write it on our back end, and that's going to get machine accessibility. I have never once seen a successful rollout of a company that's trying to do their own self-grown, high-level information app, SCADA, MES, whatever factory software that, that's out there. Now, I've seen multi-million, billion-dollar companies do that. Because they have literally their own team of 30 developers internally that are just developing their own proprietary Mm -hmm. software. You know what? Majority of manufacturers don't have 30 of their own full stack developers to create a brand new software from the beginning. The majority of the manufacturers have a one or two person IT department, or maybe more than that, depending on how big you get. But what my rule is, your manufacturer, you make parts and components. That's what you should be focusing on as a company. Work with the company, then develop solutions for you that would make you more productive. And as far as how do you choose that, I think that's the decision that they need to make on their own. They need to go out there and look at what is the case studies? Are you familiar with my industry? Show me examples of how you've made other people more productive. Show me what type of, hey, is this a software as a service? Is this just a software license? There's so many different opportunities. And as a company, you know, each company listening to this needs to decide on their own. But I think what could be said though is, Don't try and reinvent the wheel that has already been made for you. Try whatever. When you go out there, you're buying a bicycle. You're going to go out there. There's so many different bicycles for you to choose from. It's silly for you to go in your garage and try and make a bicycle yourself. Go to a bike shop and there's 20, 30, 40 different bicycle brands that are out there. Go take one for a ride. Test it. They're going to let you play with it. See if it works. And if that's a good fit for you, if it rides well, then buy it. But don't go out Mm. there and try and develop your own system. I think that's just such a waste of time, especially since manufacturers right now have way more Mm. things on their plate. Jay, coming to the end of the podcast, step by step, I would like to know from you, what have been the takeaways from 2022? Takeaways from 2022. I would say that the adaption of machine learning and AI 
is at an all-time high in manufacturing. And mm -hmm. I think we're going to see more and more manufacturing companies adapting this type of technology. And I think the, one of the main reasons why I would say is the cost to entry is a lot lower than what it was two, three, four, five years. You can buy solutions that are running on AI. And this isn't just software. This could be robotics. This could be vision systems. This could be mobile robots on the shop floor. It could be AI scheduling where you go out there and you have 10, 15 different machine assets on the floor and it analyzes what workers you have, what machines you have, and what material you have. And then it will put together the best type and, and the type of jobs that you have to run and what the critical jobs are. And it will do all that automated scheduling for you through AI. Like that's just the embracing technology where people think of AI as this one thing, but AI, what we perceive as movies, but AI in a lot of cases is just being able to make complex decisions that are dynamic and be able to make the best decision for you. And so I would say AI machine learning is a technology. I see a lot of the rise of robotics is huge. I mean, you look at the numbers, every single country has an increased adoption of industrial and collaborative robots on their manufacturing floors. Mobile industrial robots, AMRs, AGVs is massively growing and spiking. And that's just because we're seeing mm. such a rise in e-commerce and 3PL. And I would say, you know, the other biggest thing that I would say I'm seeing in 2020 is manufacturing and companies in our industry right now are beginning to understand that culture of a company is just as important, if not more important than just the paycheck that you mm -hmm. give your employees. This is a great segue for my last question. Let's take a look into the future. I would like to know what your vision is when we take a look into a smart factory 10 years from now. How would it look like? Okay. If you weren't listening, I'll give you a visualization. I just did a big sigh on this part. What will manufacturers look like in 10 years? Unfortunately, Ben, probably a lot of them are going to look like they exactly like they do now. And that's just because they're not willing to change. And unfortunately, what we're going to see is a lot of those manufacturers are probably going to be going out of business because they're not willing to adapt technology. And I think it's one of those things is if you're not willing to adapt technology, if you're not willing to change culturally, if you're not willing to engage in a younger workforce, you're not going to change and you're not going to grow. And you're going to be the same way you were in the 10 years from now as you are today. And then in 10 years from now, we were asked that question, you probably won't be in business. Like that's the facts mm -hmm. is no one's entitled to be successful within a manufacturing organization. If you're not willing to adapt technology, you're not going to grow and you're not going to be successful and you're going to go out of business. Like that's just the hard facts. Now, the companies who are willing to adapt to technology, who are willing to listen, who are willing to say, I'm going to embrace technology that's not here just to replace my workforce, but here to enable my workforce. You're going to see more tools in the shop floor that humans are working side by side with. And that kind of goes back earlier mm -hmm. to the conversation of collaborative systems, device wearables, interactionable devices that give you better analytics information like your phones, iPads, tablets, screens that give you productivity. I think that's what we're going to be seeing in the future in five or 10 years is way more accessibility to all the information that's hopping out of shop floor. And real-time decision-making of it's no longer one of those things where you make a part for eight hours, your quality insurance guy comes out, grabs a couple parts and says, okay, are you still making good parts? You're going to get a lot of times real-time feedback on, I made a bad part. I'm going to immediately address the issue rather than waiting two hours, four hours, or to the next shift to come in to be able to figure out what your productivity and what your quality looks like. Like, I think the tools are going to enable us to have better real-time understanding of what our manufacturing processes are. Jake, it has been super inspiring to talk with you. Thanks a lot for being on the podcast. Yeah, it's great being here. Thanks so much for reaching out. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening and we hope you found this episode valuable. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. 
You can find more information and resources at operationsone.com. This episode is brought to you by Operations One. Operations One is the leading platform to bring operations to a new level of excellence. By supporting frontline operations from planning to execution to analytics, companies benefit from an empowered workforce, increased operational excellence, and future-proof operations. Visit operationsone.com for more information.